Welcome back to Legal Tech Made Simple with me, Don Birch. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not particularly techie, which makes me perfectly well-placed to help make legal tech simple. And I'm delighted on this week's podcast to be joined by Casey Coleman, who is the CEO of Monax. They're a leader in digital legal infrastructure, a respected blockchain native, software as a service company. Monax builds decentralized systems and growing ecosystem applications. And prior to co-founding Monax, uh, Casey was the head of legal information systems at the US Open Data Institute. Casey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. No, no, absolute pleasure. So let's just start there, actually. Do you want to just give us a little bit of a background and and your journey to becoming CEO? Sure. I, I've had a little bit of a windy road through, uh, through life, uh, particularly my professional life. I started um, as an engineer in, uh, in did my first degree in engineering and rather than building things i decided to blow them up and then i was an infantry officer in the marines <laughs> after that i uh, decided that it might be time to uh, do something different and so i went to law school but rather than doing uh, the sort of big uh, big firm suit on thing i went first to west africa where i worked in war crimes tribunals and then i went to east africa where i did uh, governance reform work and then uh, laterally ran my own uh, law firm and it was while I was there that I really fell in love with this idea of the computers running the contracts and and, and kind of what this could uh, could mean and, and and so I went down the rabbit hole of what used to be called in the uh, academic literature. Uh, computable contracts and then laterally now we call these uh, smart contracts um, and, and it was along that journey that I uh, came across uh, the ideas the very early ideas of, of blockchains before they were uh, started to be flushed out and so I fell down laterally that rabbit hole as well and and, and so that led me pretty much to uh, found a, uh, a company that was quite interested in how we can help the computers run the contracts and, and how can we build technical infrastructure that can do us, which kind of gets us to now. So tell us a little bit about Monax then and, and perhaps maybe describe, you know, what's, what's a typical deployment for you guys? So we're a software as a service company focused on um, digitizing contracts. So it's a, it's a digital contracting platform that at its most simple is a little bit smarter than Google Drive. So rather than putting your contracts on Google Drive and having them not be able to do anything for you, you can put them on Monax and have them uh, email you in, when specific milestones have have uh, been accomplished or when the, when the uh, expiration date is upcoming. Uh, the system is much more complex than that and can do more complex things, but at, at the end of the day, uh, at its most simple, that that is uh, what we're really focused on doing for, for customers. And it's amazing, isn't it, just how many large organizations still aren't in a position, particularly from a you know legal general counsel sat there, not really able to put their finger on all of their contracts and know where they are, and then at a touch of a button, be able to sort of interrogate them and just say, right, how many are coming up to termination or how many have force majeure in them because of, you know, having a global pandemic land on your plate? <laughs> um, it makes, there's so much more work to be done, isn't there? We've really only entered, we've only really begun. 
and that is what is uh, very intriguing from a from an industry perspective. Um, you know, it, I often analogize to um, how uh, a CLO or general counsel their ability to, as you as you say, interrogate their contracts. How different that is to a CFO's ability to interrogate a balance sheet. Um, you know, if 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 a CEO asked a CFO uh, a pretty general question about the balance sheet um, and the CFO just looked at them like they were, were crazy and it, why should they have an answer to that question? That CFO probably wouldn't have long in their job. If the CEO was to ask the uh, CLO or, or, or general counsel, depending on the company, what they call it, um, you know, how many contracts do we have outstanding at this point and how many are, are set to renew this year? And the general counsel typically would just look at the CEO like they were like that was just a, a nonsensical question to ask because they just don't have this data at their fingertips and, and historically have found no reason to have this data at their fingertips. Now, query whether it is actually the general counsel's job to maintain contracts. And, and I think that's something we may get into a little bit later. But, you know, that notwithstanding, basically no one within most companies will know Unless it's a very small company and all the contracting is within the CEO's head or, or founder's head, it's very likely that no one will know where the contracts are and what state they are in, which is, uh, which is a big challenge because, well, contracts define basically what our business relationships are and what is happening within our business. And, and so they are the progenitor of most of what we do from a business perspective. And, and so therein lies the risky Bits. I think that's right. And I think if, if you're the CFO, surely you're looking in and going, well, how do we optimize our commercial relationships? Exactly. But I mean, before you even query how we optimize, you should be asking what are our, our <laughs> uh, commercial relationships, yeah. you know, and and there are uh, innumerable examples of uh, of companies that have, for example, multi-year contracts and and after the first year, an ability to charge more. Um, uh, you know, some surplus of, well, we'll charge you 5% after the first year uh, is finished or, or, or whatever the case might be. And that information that we're now at a year after the effective date on this particular contract, and therefore we can charge 5% more, is, uh, is often a, a super important bit of information to get over to, over to finance, but not always gets over there. And, yeah. and that's that's a big challenge from a revenue perspective. Now, we bumped into each other on Twitter a month or so ago, and I'm just going to read out your tweet because it tickled me at the time. Dear Legal Tech, dear Blockchain, can we please, for the love of all that is holy, just stop and completely erase the parts of our brain that contemplate smart contracts, except for those that are deep futurists? What were you trying to get off your chest there, Casey? <laughs> <laughs> Or I wasn't trying to get anything particular off my chest, but I've had for a, a long time uh, a big challenge with the term smart contracts because it leads people in uh, crazy directions of, oh, if we have smart contracts, suddenly we can do X, Y or Z. It's a very imprecise term uh, that is being leveraged by all kinds of 
different emergent technology to mean very, very different things. And and so if you're if you're a consumer uh, trying to buy legal technology right now, it may be very intriguing when a vendor comes to you and says, we have smart contract capabilities um, and it will be entirely misleading whatever they say is their smart contracting capabilities. For the simple fact of what I was mentioning earlier, that we don't have, as a as a rote, I mean, across industries, we haven't digitized contracts. Until we digitize and understand across the board what contracts look like digitally, we don't need to be worrying about automation. We don't need to be worrying about smartifying uh, things, uh, and, and we don't need to be worrying about applying AI. We don't need to be worrying about any of this stuff until we just do the really basic thing of making uh, of making contracts be digital objects on a digital platform that we can then understand how to uh, where are we within this particular contract um, you know we have a range of technologies that look to uh, as I often say give birth to a contract and and most contract management systems that exist uh, today are very focused on helping lawyers get to to a signature on a page. Uh, but I would argue that's not really digitizing contracts because they don't really give us much of much information, if any, as to what is the state of this thing as a digital object. And, and, and so that's what I was really trying to interrogate in the, the entirety of that thread. And, and also, I mean, it's a classic, isn't it? Don't try and digitize a bad process. So there'll be an awful lot of paper-based analog contracts out there that if you are looking to digitize them, by all means, get them digitized so you can read them, you can store them, you can interrogate them, but also take that opportunity to go, is there a better, more simpler way of actually dealing with this piece of legal text? You know, is there, is there an easier way to contract with us or are we always falling out over the same terms? Do we need to have a look at that term? Exactly. And or do we have archaic text within our, our contracts that, that mean nothing? You know, I mean, the, the, the classic example of this is, is how do notices work? You know, if, if, if you can move contracts onto a digital platform, do you need half a page of uh, very specific information around how notices, uh, about how we get information back and forth, including like, mailing information that no that goes to post office boxes or uh, or mailing systems that nobody uses and nobody is ever going to check in a contract and yet it takes up you know half a page in many contracts or sometimes more or sometimes a little bit less but you, you know there's there's all kinds of opportunities if if you can assume that the baseline is that to some extent we're going to have some digital mechanisms around this then you can look at your your textual templates and and see if you need them to be so unapproachable and so long and and such a challenge to get at and and we were talking a bit earlier about who job it is to maintain contracts do you see a world in the near future where you know business users ultimately are the guys who are doing the deals on the ground right they're set up to each other in a figurative way these days doing it doing the deal and all they need is a legal contract to go with it 
you know, it should really be a case that you should be able to do some of this on your iPhone in the meeting. You know, it, it shouldn't be something that then you have to trot off to the legal team and start from scratch each time. I think it depends the context. I mean, if you're doing a if you're doing a super complex multi-year like bet the business type deal, then obviously you would probably want some some legal assistance on, on that deal whereas if you're doing just a routine supplier contract then why should you go to legal I, the way that most companies are organized it's it's legal's job to help folks get to a contract and then if something is going sideways on with a particular relationship then to come in and, and to provide advice but if if we're on the happy path and we haven't really realized that we're going sideways on a deal, um, then it's it's really up to the front office of a particular business um, to manage that business relationship. And I think it's awkward that a lot of contract management systems are built by lawyers and sold to lawyers when, as I said earlier, um, lawyers in general in most companies actually have a very limited scope of management when it comes to contracts, namely getting us from a, a kind of orally agreed deal to a, a signature, you know, squiggly lines on a paper, um, and then and then taking over if a deal is going sideways or a business relationship is going sideways. But outside that, uh, lawyers aren't really involved. So why are contract management systems built for lawyers when they have such a limited perspective on the management of contracts. Um, I, I find that a bit weird. And where do you see the future, right? So, you know, can you imagine a, a future where there's so many tools now in the marketplace and there's so many right up to the enterprise level, we've got huge organisations, you know, using CLM tools and all the rest of it. Can you see a point in the future where there's going to have to be this kind of interoperability, there's going to have to be almost an agnostic nature between tools that allow you know organizations to be negotiating with one another real easy flow of data potentially maybe even anonymized data from all the contracts that are out there all the deals that are being ha happening so that we can optimize it when you look out into the future of your crystal ball where do you see all this heading we're heading in a direction of balkanization as a legal tech industry and as an industry we unless users demand that uh, vendors uh, meet certain specific requirements that allow users and customers to easily import and export their data in a manner in which would make it somewhat portable across uh, across vendors, then there's going to be a big problem as more and more legal technology gets adopted at specific points along a value chain. And, and, and I think one of the things that's really, really important to understand from a technology perspective, both on a consumer and vendor perspective, is that, you know, each of us plays a role in some point within a value chain of, uh, you know, I have a deal that is really a business relationship, then I'm going to have to contract that, then I'm going to have to negotiate that, then I'm going to have to sign that, then I'm going to have to manage that, then I have to uh, deal with it if it goes sideways. And all those stages along that value chain in an ideal world need to have uh, an ability to have multiple competing platforms that you can uh, leverage and, and move data around in between them. Right now, you unless you go with one vendor and try to 
make them be the golden vendor that can do all of those things. You're not really going to find a, an ability to cleanly move information between and across platforms that may optimize for a specific point along that value chain. And, and you know, it's it, it's going to be a big problem in the next year to two years, I think. Well, Casey, I can't believe our time is up. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm looking forward to um, having a few more, I won't say spats, a few more conversations on Twitter because we're in that point in the, in the, in the sector where we need to have these debates and we need to have them out loud. Fully agree. Well, listen, Casey, CEO of Monax, Casey Coleman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.